Hi, I'm Emily Salaby, founder of Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company, and your host on the Hazard Girls podcast here on Jacket Media. I'm so honored to host this show where I get to chat with Hazard Girls about their careers. Hazard Girls is an online community for women working in traditionally male-dominated fields. On our show, you'll get to hear from these amazing women about the path that led them to their current careers, challenges they've overcome, advice for other women in entering these industries, and more. Liz Pristella is a NASCAR crew member and the founder of Torqued Clothing, a clothing line making workwear designed for women by women in racing and similar trade industries. Liz has over a decade of experience in racing, working in roles such as tire specialist and tire changer, along with designing workwear with those types of careers in mind. Welcome to the Hazard Girls podcast. Liz, how are you? I'm great. Thank you for having me. Yeah, you're welcome. So Liz, you're a California native. You're from Lake Tahoe, um, but you're, you're now in South North Carolina, right? Yes. So is, is NASCAR a big, a big thing in California where you're from? It's not very big, but I grew up watching it with my dad and we have two racetracks in California. There's Fontana and Sonoma that the cup series goes to every year. So I would go to those races. Then of course we have Vegas. That was like our staple race we would go to. So I would just watch a lot with my dad and then we would go to at least two races a year too. So you and your dad, it's something that you sort of did with him as like a fun thing to just do together to watch the races. Yeah, I've got two older sisters. So I was always more of the daddy's girl. I was the younger one. So I Mm -hmm. drifted more towards the cars with my dad. Mm -hmm. And that was just kind of like a thing me and him did together. And even Mm -hmm. now, like we'll talk cars all day long. My sisters just be like, what are you guys talking about? We're like, oh, nothing. Like tech (laughs) procedure last week, like whatever randomness comes out of it. So is your dad also a, a, a racer or a race car driver or is he a mechanic or anything like that? He's a hobby mechanic. He grew up working on cars with his dad. So it was always just kind of a family thing. He paints houses for a living. So he'll do like the big houses on the lake and he does all the woodworking stuff too. So it was just always a fun thing we got to do together. Mm-hmm. And did he teach you how to be a mechanic and cars and work on cars? He taught me a lot. I told him when I turned 14, I was like, you know, I want to take auto shop in high school so that when I get my driver's license, I know how to fix my car because my first car was an 88 Camaro. And I knew that it was going to probably take some loving because (laughs) it had been through, it was my grandma's car, brand new in 87. She had custom ordered it. Then my Uh mom got it. And then it went through my middle sister and then I got it. So I was like, I know it's going to need love. I want to be able to fix it where if I get stranded, I'm not sitting there as a damsel in distress because that's not who I am. Mm-hmm. I like that. So where is the car now? It's in my garage. It's currently not running. I let it sit a little bit too long without running it and the fuel pump ended up going bad, but uh, I moved it out here with me when I moved here when I was 18 and it's my pride and joy. Like you'll have to pry me away from it if you ever want me to get rid of it. I have to picture it. What color is it? It's red. Cool. Okay. My that grandma sounds- was a five foot tall, feisty redhead. <laughs> and so it matched her personality. And I am very close to her too. When, before she passed away, she was like, like we had a lot in it common. Mm-hmm. She's a very big crafter. She would paint. She would, so she's the one that taught me how to paint, craft, design, 
mm-hmm. all of my artsy side came from her so we were very connected on that level she wasn't so much on working on the cars but we yeah. would do a lot of other stuff together so the fact that I have it makes even more to me like I still have yeah. the paperwork she has from when she bought it at the dealership that has her signature on it from when she picked it up Oh, wow. Okay. So that means a lot to you. It's like yeah. sentimental and you, and you still have it. Um, okay. So speaking of when you came, you were said you were 18 when you went from California, I think to North Carolina and you brought your car and what, what was your path? Were you, what were you doing moving at age 18 all the way to North Carolina? Were you looking, were you working? Was it a job you moved for? I moved to go to vocational school. Universal Tech has a campus here and they have a NASCAR based program with it mm-hmm. in Charlotte. of the race teams are located within 30 miles. So to work in NASCAR, you have to be in the Charlotte area. So three months after I turned 18, my parents moved me out here so that I could get the into it. And I did the trade school. So I had something to fall back on where if I got into racing, I was like, eh, not really for me. I had Mm -hmm. the ability to go work at a dealership, go change oil, go work in hot rod shop, whatever Mm -hmm. I fancied at the time. Wait, so let's back up then, because a lot of, you know, most people, when when we talk about their career, the vast majority of it is like after college, it it sort of starts to take place. But for you, it sounds like it was really forming in your minds early on, like in your your teens, before you you graduated. By the time I was 16, I knew I wanted to work in racing. Mm-hmm. My first year in auto shop, we rebuilt Briggs and Stratton lawnmower engines. And I actually had to do mine by myself because my partner ended up moving halfway <laughs> through us tearing it apart. And I was the first person to get mine running successfully out of the entire class. And like, once I started doing that, I'm like, this is what I want to do for a living. And I was already such a big race fan. It's like, mm-hmm. why wouldn't I want to go work in racing? Like to me, there was no barrier to it. Mm -hmm. But I also have a really supportive family that was like, whatever you want to do, you go do it. Like, we're always going to support you as long as you're happy. Mm -hmm. So for you, you were really interested in racing, but it's the whole field of racing. So that encompasses not not necessarily driving, but actually working on the cars, keep them going fast, keep them safe. Yeah, I was never on the driving side of it. Like, I love working on it, but I don't have that living on the edge desire Okay. <laughs> I like control. I probably have a little bit too much of a control issue, mm-hmm. but I've never had that. Oh, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to just see how fast I can go around a turn. I'm just like, I want to just cruise around, have fun, like enjoy myself. So driving was never really an option for me unless I wanted to ride around the back, but working on them and seeing how fast I can get them to go is mm-hmm. something that I was really passionate about early. Yeah. So, okay. So that, so you knew what you wanted to do and your family understood and they got you out there where you needed to be to learn the tech side of it, the tech school, the trade school. Um, so what, what was that like for you being one of the only women I'm assuming in that program? I think there was like five females total in the entire school. Mm -hmm. And at first it was a little bit of a transition for me because I like in, I grew up in California. There isn't necessarily the gender biases when it comes to careers and jobs even back in the early 2000s like if you wanted to do it you just did it Mm -hmm. and in the south they're still a little bit more traditional so it took some people would just like stare at me like what are you doing here like are you supposed to be here and I would excel in a lot of classes because I was so passionate and I was so committed then people like by halfway through they were like oh I guess that you know this is what you really want and the more I did it, the more I was like, yeah, 
Like, I'm just like you guys, like there's no difference between me and anyone else in the school. So what was your first job then coming out of there? I changed oil. Mm-hmm. That was my job I got when I was in school. And then I continued it after I got out of school for a couple years, just so I figured out how to get into racing uh-huh. because it's not the easiest to get into. So I did that for a couple years. Then I went and worked at a dealership as a service rider just to see if I liked that. And I didn't enjoy that. It was not my favorite thing to do. So after about a year and a half of working at Randy Marin, it's one of the biggest Chevy dealerships in this area. We call it Randy Land because he has like two miles of dealerships in the middle <laughs> of the town I live in. <laughs> and I was just like, well, I'm just going to see what I can do. So I started just emailing every race team I could think of that was trucks, ARCA, smaller teams. And Jennifer Jo Cobb, who's a female owned truck team, emailed me back. She's like, Hey, if you want to go interview with my crew chief, like you can go talk to him about an internship today. Like here's the shop address, go ahead. And that was my start. And Mm -hmm. she was very big on giving people that start that they needed. She said that she's not a permanent place. She is a transitional place. So she's there to get them in the door, teach them what they want, see if it's what they actually like, Mm -hmm. and then watch them grow from there. And I'm still in contact with her today. And she loves how far I've gotten in my career, especially in the past 10 years. I'm now on a top caliber cup winning team. That's awesome. She sounds amazing, by the way. The fact that she was, you know, even though she might not have had permanent positions, like her goal was to get people in the door because a lot of times when you're starting out, it's so hard to get that first job because you don't have the experience. So how do you, how do you start? How do you? people want to hire someone with experience, but how do you get that experience if you can't get hired? So she was actually, her purpose was to really do that and bring, it sounds like, it sounds like she was also very um, cognizant of helping women, right? Yeah. Because she's female owner driver and Mm -hmm. she also does charity work with her charity called Driven to Honor, which is all honoring female soldiers. Mm -hmm. So everything she does is to empower women. And that's her main focus is just making sure that women feel comfortable and confident and want to go out there and do whatever they're passionate about, whether it's racing or business ownership, whatever it may be. So, okay. So after that internship with her, what did you do next? How did you, how did you make your break into the NASCAR? I went actually into NASCAR itself. So I worked with her for a little over a year and a half, and then she started having some budget issues. So I ended up freelancing a lot for the remainder of that second year. And then through that freelancing, I made a connection with Derek Cope, who he's been around for a long time, one day Tona 500. He had an Xfinity team at the time. And he was like, hey, you want to come do the first five races with me? You know, I need some extra mechanics. Mm-hmm. And through that, I met Jay Robinson, who owned a cup car at the time that Joe Nemechek drove. And Jay had been pitting the Xfinity car with us. And Jay was like, hey, do you want to come do tires for me on Sunday? Like, do you want to come change tires on Sunday? I was like, sure, why not? Like, what's it going to hurt? And (laughs) after a couple races of that, he's like, hey, you just want to come work on the car? Like, I know you're committed to Derek through the first five, but after those five, do you want to just come work on the cup car? And that's how I learned how to actually do tires. I was just a mechanic before and they're like, well, we need a tire person. So if you're willing to learn the job, Mm -hmm. we'll train you on it. So I did that for a year and a half. And then Tommy Baldwin, who had Alex Bowman at the time as his driver, was friends with Jay. 
And he walked up to Jay in the garage and was talking to him about trying to hire me. So he got Jay's permission before he even talked to me. I just walk up to talk to Jay and he's like, yeah, Jay said I can hire you. So I'm going to talk <laughs> to you later. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. Like, it was, was like your- an awkward situation. <laughs> You're like, I thought I should have known about this first. <laughs> yeah, I'm that- just sitting here like, uh, <laughs> like, I guess that's not, makes it easier for me to tell my current team that I'm leaving yeah. to go to the other team. Was that your dream job? Tires wasn't necessarily my dream job. Like originally I wanted to be an engine builder, mm-hmm. but it's a lot harder to get into engine building than it is to do anything else. And tires is a very t- specific job. You have to be organized. You have to stay active. There's only 40 tire people. There's a lot of others. Like in the cup series, there's only 40 of us. And not a lot of people can do tires unless they've done it before. It's not easy. Like you can't throw someone in there and be like, all right, go do tires. They're going to look at you like you have six heads and they have no way, no clue which way is up or down. (laughs) So it's something that I was good at because I'm very meticulous and I like routine and I like systems. And to do tires, you have to be all of that. You are responsible for the only thing that touches the ground when you're racing. Wow. Yeah. I think when you think about it like that, that's a huge responsibility. Yeah. And what does that feel like? Some days it's nerve wracking. Like if I know that we're running like a really low air pressure, I'm like, uh, let, let, let's just get past these first five laps and hope that we don't blow a tire. Mm-hmm. And other days it's like, it kind of gives me that sense of accomplishment, knowing that the tires that I put on that car helped us win or get a top five or get a top 10 or like in Daytona we had Travis Pastrana in the car he had never been in a cup car and he ended up qualifying in on speed and it's like the tires that I put on the car and the tires that I set is what got him in on speed so you mentioned there's only like 40 people doing it so and and as a woman you're probably one of the few right yeah there's two of us okay (laughs) (laughs) That's a, that's a small club. So yeah. do you find yourself getting a lot of publicity and things like that? Sometimes I do. Other times I don't. Like I tend to just work regardless of the cameras. Mm-hmm. So I don't get necessarily as much because I just do my thing and I don't go searching for it necessarily. Like there was a couple, when I first started, there was a female who was brought in by Reebok and a couple other companies and they paid for her to be a tire changer at a cup team and it was a very large publicity stunt and the only car she actually changed tires on I was changing rears on it and to this day she still says she was the first female tire changer at NASCAR and there was like 15 more before her and it was a very large publicity thing oh okay well that's yeah so that kind of like early on gave me the mindset of eh I don't want to be the center of attention because just seeing the way she acted and the way she portrayed herself and how she had no real passion for the sport. She was there because the money people were telling her to do it. I can imagine how frustrating that must have been for you and the other, just for everyone, actually, for all them and for all the tire changers. Um, All right. So 11 years now at NASCAR. Yeah. What what are you doing now? Like what's your, your most of the time gig there? Most of the time I'm at the shop, I work in parts and teardown. 
I'm kind of split between the two because my supervisor calls me the utility knife. I can go wherever they need me to go and I can do any job they need. So I'm really good at parts because it's numbers, papers. My mom's an accountant. So I grew up doing QuickBooks and doing accounting, helping her out. So that stuff's easy. And I know every part of the car. So with our parts guy, he's like, what's this part? Like, they just gave us a brief description. He's like, what what are we doing with this like where where does this need to go and because I work on the car I'm able to tell him yeah it goes here it does this this is the thingamajigger that it does like it twists this way and that's why that happened so I'm helpful there but I can also do tear down I don't mind doing interiors because I'm also smaller than the rest of the guys so -hmm. when it comes to pulling the insides apart I can sit in there for two hours and not be bothered some of them are claustrophobic and I'm like I don't want to be in the car like they just lean in and I'm like I'm just gonna climb right in like doesn't phase me yeah and then I'm back up at track I do the testing with us and then I go to five to ten races a year which is subject to change at any time depending on if they need an extra mechanic Mm -hmm. last year I was supposed to do five I did about 25 because the first race I went to we won uh that's a good thing (laughs) yeah and they were like well we like having the consistency of you and the fact that we just say go and you do it and we don't have to babysit I'm able to help the tire people because we have one on each car and then I'm the backup so I'm third in line on that so if any of them take a weekend off I'm the tire person that goes just Mm -hmm. like when we test if we want to give the tire guys a break I go do the test and why they stay at the shop Mm -hmm. so 25 races that means you had to travel 25 different times yeah and we run from first week of February until the first week of November with one weekend off yeah that's a lot and pay so let's let's also shift into talking about your other business which is you know how I found out about you um how we met but you have a company that makes clothing for women not just women in racing but it does encompass women in racing um, but women in industry in general, Twerked. Can you tell us how you got the idea for Twerked? And, you know, it's funny because people ask me a lot how I got the idea for my company as well. And it's like, I feel like we all have this idea that things are missing for women, mm-hmm. right? So instead of asking how you got the idea, I want to ask you what gave you the impetus and the motivation to actually do something about it? Well, when I was in high school, I was big in like designing my own prom dress and designing Halloween costumes just because I have that background with my grandma and designing clothes and she was an interior decorator and she taught me to sew when I was 12. So I always had that background. I knew I wanted to have a clothing line of some sort. I wasn't sure what path it was going to be yet, but the more I worked on cars, the more I realized how horrible the pants selection is. Like even when I was changing oil, like I would burn through pants in a week and I would spend so much money on pants because they're not designed necessarily to bend up and down 60 times a day or be on your knees twisting on the floor going under a car and so I just was getting aggravated once I got into racing I was like now that I'm in NASCAR like there's bound to be some resources that I don't know about that has pants that will work and there was nothing they're like well we wear tactical pants like they're they're okay like they're ems police pants they don't rip but they're really not designed for working on a car let's talk about that what what is it about your pants that are different that makes them ideal for that scenario of working on a car and doing similar things like that 
like I've got double knees on my pants and then I've got extra belt loops in the back because we're bent over all the time and most women's pants gap out in the back every Mm -hmm. time you bend down I've also got six full-size pockets that will fit your iPhone in them and every single one I've got a pen pocket then I put a gusset in the inner seam because that's mm-hmm. usually where it's the most uncomfortable for women, especially squatting, sitting, it digs into your thighs. So I designed it all with what features that guys get, but women don't get. And then I made them so that they fit our bodies so that we don't look frumpy and uncomfortable. And when you don't feel comfortable, you don't have the confidence at work. Like you're more concerned about how you're looking than what you're actually doing, which can cause distractions and affect your performance. So I wanted to make sure I had a lot of features that would be comfortable on us while still holding up. I had 50, 60 fabric swatches sent to my house and I sat there with like a piece of aluminum and scraped on all of them to see which ones wouldn't snag because Mm -hmm. I was like, I want to find fabric that holds up, but doesn't feel like cardboard. Yeah. Can you explain the gusset? What is that? It's just like a three inch inner panel. So that the seam, instead of being directly in the middle of your leg, there's two seams on each, like off to the sides. Mm -hmm. And so it's just more of a comfort panel than anything. And it just helps with the bunching and the squishing and all the issues that women have with thighs and hips Mm -hmm. while bending down. Well, speaking of, you know, the shapes of our bodies, women come in all different sizes, obviously. So I know you offer work pants from sizes zero to 30. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. And what is there, are there challenges around that? Has it been difficult for for manufacturing? It was on this round. This is technically the fourth factory I've worked with. Mm -hmm. The first factory, they couldn't do much beyond the sample. And the second factory, they had done a run, but the quality just wasn't there and I wasn't satisfied with it because I keep all my stuff made in the U.S. That way I can ensure the quality of it, ensure the fact that they're not made in sweatshops Mm -hmm. because I don't want my company to be associated to that. I want us to be doing it the right way and it's for blue collar people. Mm -hmm. That's just how I am about it. And then the second factory, they were a lot better and they'd actually told me that the previous factory wasn't even known for making pants. They're like, they make shirts. So the fact that they made pants is impressive. (laughs) And that, that run I had only done zero... I did two to 16 because I wanted to make sure that they were going to be popular before I expanded drastically. And as I was expanding, people were like, you know, I could really use a bigger size. You know, I'm, I'm smaller than a two. Mm-hmm. So I was like, well, I did a lot of polls with like Facebook groups I'm a part of that have female mechanics, females in trades. And I was like, well, what sizes are you guys like? Mm-hmm. Give me an idea so I know how big I need to go. And I was like, I'll expand both directions. Like I have no issue expanding. My only struggle has been the regular inseam versus a long inseam versus a short because it's a lot harder to be able to have all those inseam options. So I was like, well, I'll just make it for five, seven person on the inseam. If you have to hem it a little bit, it's better than not having them long enough for the taller women. Yeah, because I think what a lot of people don't understand or realize or maybe even think about is that in order to have those offerings, you actually have to buy them in advance and then have that inventory. And it's very expensive. Yeah. You know, it's a big investment for a small business to, to carry that inventory. So 
the fact that you're able to do it for size zero to 30 is incredible. And I'm sure it wasn't easy to get there. Yeah. Um, I had to do 300 pieces on this last batch. Yeah. And they were like, we can do sizes, but we can't change the inseam. Like you get yeah. 300, figure out how you're going to divide the numbers out. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I'm, well, I'm sure that's gained you many fans because people obviously are happy that you're needing more sizes, which is really important. Um, so yeah, so thank you for doing that. And I think that's really cool. And I also um, made them sized a little bit on the bigger side. So usually uh-huh. people order a size down. Oh, okay. It's good to know. Because a lot of women's pants, they are so broad on sizing of them. You're like a zero and one brand. You're like an eight and another brand. Yes. And so I went for like a standard sizing, but I made them a little bit on the bigger side because I would much rather order like a size two versus a size six. <laughs> um, all right. So I was going to, you know, ask you why size inclusivity is so important to you, but I think, you know, I think I, I think I got that from your answer. Like you want to be inclusive. You want to include everyone. You make your customers happy. Um, is there anything else I'm missing from that, that whole conversation? When we do have a little extra stretch in our waistband too. Mm. I, these last ones I designed, we turn the fabric a different direction so that you can get about two extra inches of stretch, which for most women, you need that well, at least once one week a month. You need that exactly. little extra I was stretch. Say, there's like, depending on what time of the month it is, you yeah. may need more stretch. <laughs> I was like, I want to have a little extra. I was like, even if it's elastic on the sides, I want that little extra because if you eat too many cookies the night before too, you might need that little extra. And I like my desserts. Like I'm a fan of the cookies and the pies and the cakes. And I don't want to be worried. Am I going to be too bloated to fit in my work pants? Yeah. You heard it here. <laughs> Liz from Torka has you covered with the desserts. <laughs> Plenty of stretch in the pants. All right. Well, where can Torks be found? Where can, I know, um, are, well, are you available online? Is it available online yes. as well as in stores? Okay. Why don't you tell it's us where? Online primarily right now. We've got our website, torquedclothing.com. You can find us Twitter, Instagram, both T O R Q underscore D. Mm-hmm. You can find us on Facebook there too. We are still working on getting in stores. We have some in Pro Sports in Canada. They're in New the Sound in Canada. I can't remember. I can't remember the name of the city. Like it's blanking oh. me right now, but it's right near Ontario. Mm-hmm. And they okay. have. Yeah. There's a big population, I feel like, of tradeswomen there. I think. Yeah. This company does like all different trades, motorsports. They primarily focus on racing, but they do carry some of our stuff there. And you can always go to them if you live in Canada and say, hey, we want this option. And they can buy it for me and have it up there in stock because shipping to Canada isn't always the cheapest. I can do it. Sometimes it calculates out weird. So anyone that does want to buy internationally, just let me know if it calculates out funny and I can look separately and mm-hmm. see, all right, what's it actually going to cost? Because sometimes it just calculates funny. It's a okay. preset that doesn't always think what it is. It's like, oh, I'm just going to add this number in there. <laughs> all right. So if you want, if you're in a, buying internationally, contact the company and they can help you out with the, the shipping. So Liz, what would you say is your overarching vision for Torque. Where are you hoping to take it over the next, I don't know, five years, 10 years? I would love to be able to offer more sizes like talls and shorts because I know everyone's different heights. Like women have such a broad range on height too, along with size. 
I would love to be able to have shorts for us, which I'm working on. I just, now that I got these 300 pants made, that's my next step. I just need to get some of these pants sold first. And I want to be able to offer work shirts as well because button-up shirts are horrible. I have some at the team I work for now that I don't even wear because they're men's and they're, mm-hmm. they do not fit me. They're like, well, this is the smallest we have. So here you go. And so I'd love to be able to have that option too. And long-term, I would love to be able to offer scholarships to women that want to go into trades because I feel like there's not very many options for women that want to go into a trade as far as scholarships go. It's like just a broad pool and a woman is not necessarily going to stand out in a pile of 600 applications. So I'd love to have one that women that want to be in trades can do. So mission-based, not just, you know, business, but also very mission-based. Really cool. And if our listeners want to get in touch with you, where should they go? They can find me personally on Instagram and Twitter at Tire Girl. It's really easy to find me on Instagram. <laughs> Twitter is Tire Girl Liz because someone else already had Tire Girl when I got it. But you can find me on both of those. On I do not have TikTok yet. I, my friends are trying to encourage me to get TikTok, but I don't understand how to use it. And I feel like <laughs> people get lost in the TikTok scroll too much. Yeah. So. I might eventually get that, but torqued is T-O-R-Q underscore D on both Instagram and Twitter. If you And you can find torqued on Facebook as well. And you can message any of them. I'm the only one that runs those accounts. So anything you message comes straight to me. Okay, cool. And I know I want to also mention that torqued is a sponsor for the Empowering Women in Industry Conference, which is happening in October in Chicago. So there is a conference and fashion show and it's, uh, there are many panel discussions and amazing speakers about empowering women in industry and all kinds of different jobs. It's, it's about empowering women to be leaders and to succeed in the workplace and give each other support. There's also a fashion show, which Torqued is going to be a part of. So you'll be um, having your products on display on the, on the stage, basically on the runway. So that everyone can see them. So everyone should keep an eye out for that as well. That'll be a really fun event. And I will have sizes zero to 30 with me at that show as well. Oh my, how are you going to carry that? Suitcases. I'm going to just <laughs> put it in suitcases. I probably won't bring all of my inventory, but I'll bring a handful of each size so that everyone has options. And I am planning on making a shirt specifically for that conference that you can only get at the conference. Mm-hmm. I haven't made the final design yet, but I have a lot of ideas in my head of what it's going to look like. So anyone that does go to the conference, I will have a specific torque shirt for that conference. Sweet. All right. Well, save me one. Okay. (laughs) Well, Liz Fristella is a NASCAR crew member and and she is the founder of Torque Clothing, a clothing line, especially for women in, in mechanics, racing, and all kinds of industries and trades. Thank you so much, Liz, for joining us. This has been really, really inspiring, really fun. And I'm also looking forward to meeting you in person in Chicago in October. Me too. You have been listening to the Hazard Girls podcast on Jacket Media, sponsored by Juno Jones, the stylish safety boot company. That's junojonesshoes.com. And you can go there to learn about our steel toe boots and to join the Hazard Girls community. I'm your host, Emily Salaby. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next week.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.